0: Hello and welcome to Filling the Sink, a show from Catalan News. I'm your host, Alejandra Angulo, sitting in for Lorcan Doherty. I'm a journalist living in the beautiful Mediterranean city of Barcelona, but I'm not really from here. I'm on a journey to discover Catalonia and I hope you can join me. As they say here, the mica mica son la pica. Little by little, the sink fills up. Today on the podcast we'll be talking about the sporting event that put Barcelona on the world map. We take a nostalgic look back at the epic summer Olympic Games of 1992 and we discuss their legacy in the months of its 30th anniversary. In this episode we hear from Olympic medalists, a volunteer and an official for the Olympic stadium. This and more to come. Joining me this week to talk about the Barcelona Olympics are Gifra Jordán and Killian Chills, good to see you both!
1: Yeah, cheers Alejandra, hi! Cheers, (laughs) good to
2: see you!
0: So, I wasn't born in 1992, I suppose you guys were also very young, I'm not trying to disclose anyone's age here... But I was just wondering, Kifre... Yeah,
1: thank you. Thanks for the compliment, Alejandra. Very nice. Yeah, I was alive. Uh, That's true. Uh,
0: Do you have, like, any memories about the game? I don't know, like, watching it on the tele or your grandpa, your dad, like, talking about it.
1: Yeah, well, my main memory is that I was not uh, going to the Olympics. Actually, while all my family went to uh, to see Michael Jordan in in Badalona's Olympic Stadium um, uh, playing basketball, I was, you know, left uh, at my aunties. But yeah, of course, uh, my memories are like my family talking about the games always very enthusiastically, you know, so saying that the years ahead were very intense and people were very excited about this big moment for the city and the country.
0: Did they take pictures and show you the pictures? Yes,
1: after? yes, not only pictures, but also memorabilia, you know, like hats and shirts, uh, some teddy bears of the mascot of the games, Kobe, you know, it was a very funny duck called Kobe. I still have it at home somewhere.
0: <laughs> and, Killian, what does it stick out for you when you think about the 1992 Olympics?
2: Uh, well, I have to say, I guess, maybe one of the first things that I think about is, and this is just a, a tribute to how timeless music is, isn't it, that uh, the Barcelona song, the anthem by Freddie Mercury and Montserrat Caballé. Uh, Barcelona. we all know, like Freddie Mercury, he died just months before the games took place, so he unfortunately wasn't able to be present for the opening ceremony to perform it there. But he teamed up with a a local, a Catalan opera singer, Montserrat Caballé, and she was one of the most famous figures easily in Catalonia up until her quite recent death, actually, unfortunately. But yeah, she was like a, a musical icon, you know, an institution really of Catalonia almost. Actually, Friday Mercury's last live
1: performance ever was in 1988 in Barcelona singing Barcelona you know it was already yeah it was uh, at the,
2: the presentation of the song wasn't it absolutely yeah. absolutely. yeah it was there at the, the magic fountain in, in Montjuic such a, an iconic kind of area as well for the Olympics absolutely, the Montjuic area absolutely
0: yeah the opening ceremony is, uh, is still remembered as one of the most magnificent in the in the history of yeah, the game ab-
2: absolutely right? absolutely so
1: it was uh, not only because of this uh, Barcelona song performed by Josep Carreras and, and Montserrat Um, Obviously not not Mercury, but also, um, you know, the the choreography is seen there, all the dancing. And obviously one of the key moments of this opening ceremony was the lighting of the cauldron. No one knew how this cauldron was going to be lit, but believe me, they rehearsed it a lot why well because as everyone knows uh, th- this was lit by this uh, Paralympic archer um, Antonio Rebollo with an arch actually so like a bow and arrow yeah it was on bow fire. and arrow. correct correct <laughs> and I mean the image is lovely but I can tell you the truth and the truth is like Basically, this arrow was just passing above the cauldron, you know. Uh, it, it didn't, it, it, he didn't make it inside the cauldron, but it was not the idea. I mean, it was just, he just had to pass it above the cauldron so that the cauldron could have this fire and be, um, it could be lit up. The special effects at work. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one knew, you know, what the arrow, where the arrow went and the images didn't show. So that's perfect, you know.
0: It's good that people didn't have like social media at the time or like.
1: <laughs> Because yeah, they they would have shown the 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 trick of this of this thing yeah.
0: I believe that the closing ceremony was spectacular too. There was this grand concert, right, uh, Gifre with, with a parataining show.
1: Yeah, the opening ceremony was more opera and stuff like this, and the closing ceremony was more fun, you know, more. Partying. Fiesta. Fiesta, yeah. And we got loads of Rumba Catalana. You know, the world discovered what Rumba Catalana is. And we had the the, the, the likes of Paret and Los Manolos, you know, uh, two of the best names uh, in Rumba Catalana. They sang Amigos Para Siempre, Friends Forever athletes could go to the stage and dance with singers, this Amigos Para Siempre and other rumba songs. But there were so many athletes who wanted to go to this stage that the speaker, Constantino Romero, like a, a, a famous famous guy with a very deep uh, voice, uh, had to say, atletas bajen del escenario, you know, like athletes.
0: This is getting dangerous. <laughs> get out
1: of the stage, this is getting dangerous.
0: Yeah, Rumba Catalana can hit up fins, And of course, that no basketball fan will never forget the year in which the American Dream Team was formed. But Kilian, why don't you tell us a bit more about some major sporting uh, moments that happened during the Olympics?
2: Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll never be able to forget Linford Christie's gold medal in the 100 metres. He won that at the age of 32. So that was that was seriously impressive. Um, of course, the Belarusian athlete Vitali Sherbo's haul of six gold medals in gymnastics, including winning four of them in a single day. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, something else that was extremely impressive was China's Fu Mingxia winning the high dive event at the age of only 13. Can you imagine that? Uh, and this was actually absolutely spectacular because the high dive event was held in a specific venue that was open air and you could see the entire city of Barcelona including like some of the most famous sites like Gaudí, Sagrada Familia really 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 stunning images that you could see from that I think as well one of the everlasting images that uh, always gets remembered I saw it actually even tweeted again on on Father's Day very very recently but Derek Redmond um, one of the runners he collapsed in the semi final of the 400 meters for example um, and despite pulling his hamstring, uh, his father actually burst out from the stands put his arm around him and just helped him just to cross the line you know, that was a really really touching moment.
0: Yeah, lots of interesting things happened uh, during the Olympics and to know more, uh, we actually spoke with two athletes uh, competing in the Olympics Michael Carruth, uh, winner of the gold medal for Ireland in welterweight boxing and Natalia Fresna a Barcelona local who won a silver medal in sailing. Next, you will hear from them. See you in a minute.
3: Everyone wanted to help. The goal was for everyone to become involved. People volunteered to take part in the efforts and, since they felt empowered, the volunteer network ended up being enormous. We saw the entire opening ceremony on screens as we waited to march in the parade. We were dying to be out there. In the end, we all entered the stadium together and it was packed. Everyone was cheering us on. They were so passionate. We thought, we're so lucky.
4: It was one of those types of things that you had absolutely anything you needed, you know, there at your disposal. You know? We were a me me and Wayne uh, the, the, the day after the Olympic final. Uh, so we, we kind of bunked out at the Olympic village, me and Wayne, and everybody was looking for us. So and we went for a point. We found an Irish pub in Barcelona. Don't know the name of it, right? And all of a sudden this fella came. He was Irish, yeah. You know? And he has the Olympic gold medals, silver medals, having a few glasses of lager in his bar. And you can just see them ringing things and I'm, and I'm looking at i going, you're not telling anybody you were here. He says, no, no, I we'll not do that. And all of a sudden there were about 200 people outside of bloody the doors. Of, you know, they couldn't believe
3: that we were there. One day, the U.S. men's basketball team members visited the Olympic Village and it was so full of people heading toward them that I could only see them from a distance. I couldn't get any closer.
4: The whole world was telling me, "I'm gonna lose," but I was the only one not listening. I said, "He's the same way as me. He's a little bit taller. I've always been used to fighting taller lads. You know, he's a southpaw. I was a southpaw. I love fighting southpaws. I-, I didn't care how ugly the fight was. You know." If you went ugly, you went ugly. If you went beautiful, you
3: went beautiful. Sailing is not only a race, it's a seven-day competition. On the last day of the competition, it was obvious I couldn't vie for gold. It was impossible. But silver was doable, and it was clear that even if I had a very bad day, I could still make bronze. The medal ceremony at the Olympic port was very emotional. There were no boats. They set up a walkway into the sea. It was incredible. From the podium, you could see all the attendees across the entire port. We had never had such a large audience.
4: Like I said, there I came out the into an applause I've never heard in my life, and never will ever hear again in my life. You know the, the amount of people that were there, and I got a little bit of a sample of what my life was probably not going to be like anymore. You know what I mean? that the sense that I knew. People are always going to recognize me. People are always going to stop me. People are always going to... And that doesn't bother me. It's 30 years gone, and I'm still shaking hands and getting photographs taken.
3: Winning an Olympic medal is what we prepare for. When you compete in an Olympic sport, your goal is to make it to the Games, and once you're there, to get a medal, because sadly, nobody remembers who comes in fourth. <laughs> No, no, no
4: allò, You know, of race, colour, creed, and all that, it's not really into it. we're all athletes, you know? And you know, you you, you befriend people all That's what it always should be, the Olympic Games. It should be always about, you know, friendship, it should be always about, you know, honesty, and it should be always about, you know, the best person wins.
0: Cheers to Michael and Natalia. Uh, it was such an honor to have two great athletes in filling the sink.
2: Yes, yeah, fantastic as well for me as an Irish person to, to get to chat with Michael. I mean, he's such a legend, I think, in, in Irish sporting history that for me, it was just it was an honor to speak with him.
0: It's worth mentioning. I think that apart from the athletes, Barcelona itself became a uh, star of the Games, resplendent in spirit, architectural beauty, and by the end of the 90s, it had become one of Europe's most visited cities, which is actually amazing. Gifre, why don't you tell us more about this, the, the transformations that happened in the city?
1: Uh, the Olympic village, the Villa Olimpica, next to, like, between Poblenou and Barceloneta, more or less, uh, this was all redone. Loads of um, factories where Uh, knocked down. Some people complained about um, industrial heritage being lost, but in any case the whole area was modernized you know, and on top of that uh, we got loads of new venues actually. We got, for instance the Vall tennis complex, the Olympic port, the whole of Catalonia was involved, you know. We had in the Pyrenees also canoeing, in Bagnolas, northeast of Catalonia, we got rowing and terraza hockey, so... loads that I'm not mentioning now.
0: I think it's it's great that most of these venues are being used today.
1: Yeah, actually, 94% of the venues uh, are in use, according to a recent IOC, International Olympic Committee, report.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing, because I know that uh, sometimes, like, the Olympics get to the city, all this regeneration process is not well done, and the cities end up with a lot of, like, empty facilities.
2: No, but I think Barcelona is a great example of a city where that hasn't really happened. Um, And I think one thing that you did not mention there, Gifre, but I think it was the maybe the home base, maybe the centerpiece of the entire Um, Olympic games being held in Catalonia was the area of Montjuic, the hill there in Barcelona. Uh, So there there's a whole group of different venues there between the what's known now as the Palau San Jordi as well as the the Pavelló Olympic and as well, of course, the Olympic Stadium itself. Um, And I actually visited the whole area quite recently and I spoke with the director of the area the Olympic ring, Carmen Lanuza, who told me all about how the stadium uh, the history of the stadium and a bit about how it's used now
0: Gray, well let's hear how you got in
2: The Olympic Stadium was first built in 1929 for the International Exposition being held in Barcelona that year, as Carmen Lanusa, director of the Olympic Ring Facilities, explained to Catalan News. The International Expo, aimed at promoting the architecture and advances in technology in Catalonia in the early 20th century, was held in Montjuic and allowed for several iconic buildings to be constructed, such as the MNAC building, the Magic Fountain and the Teatre Grec. At the time, the Olympic Stadium was one of the biggest sports facilities in Europe, with a capacity of 67,000. It was just one of the buildings that form part of the Olympic Ring area, which also comprises of the Palau San Jordi indoor arena, the striking communications tower and some other smaller sports venues. After that point, it was hoped that the stadium would be the centrepiece for a bid to host the Olympic Games, but with the Spanish Civil War beginning in 1936, those plans were shelved and the stadium fell into disrepair afterwards. In that same year of 1936, the Olympic Games were held in Nazi Germany and it was decided to organize an alternative anti-fascist people's games as a form of boycott against Hitler's reign. However, the proposed games never took place due to the outbreak of the civil war, but some athletes who had already travelled stayed to fight in the international brigades.
3: un centre de refugiats a per la Guerra civil.
2: The Olympic Stadium served as a place to accommodate around 2,000 displaced people from the Catalan capital during the war, exemplifying the very different eras the facility has gone through. People affected by the war slept there, ate there, and children were schooled there, and from its very beginnings it was a building with the purpose of serving the people of Barcelona. However, the structure fell into disrepair during the Franco dictatorship. Neglect and a lack of maintenance left the stadium in a state of ruin but the facility was still used for some youth sporting activities.
3: The 1992
2: Games changed everything for the Olympic Stadium. When the Catalan capital was chosen as the host city in 1986, part of the project was to renovate the stadium into something capable of putting on one of the greatest shows in the world. The pitch and the surrounding running track were lowered 11 meters deeper into the ground to allow for a higher capacity of fans in the stadium. In more recent times, the Estadi Luis Compange has held many concerts of some of the biggest names in music, such as Bruce Springsteen, AC DC and the Rolling Stones. It has also been a venue for various sporting events and the home of the Barcelona Dragons American football team, La Liga Side Espanyol, and for the 2023-24 football season, it will be the place where FC Barcelona plays its home games while renovation works are done on the camp now
3: de diferent tipus i de diferents esports.
0: Well, thanks for that, Kilian. He was amazing to learn more about this place with a history dating back nearly a century.
1: The Olympic Stadium was the heart, you know. Uh, the cauldron was lit uh, for 15 days there. Crowds filled the stands.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, I can picture the whole thing, like the stadium full of people, like the general excitement. Barcelona opened itself to the world um, and a lifetime of memories for everyone, including the volunteers uh, who actually work so hard to make the, the game a, a success, really.
1: Yeah, over 100,000 of them, so yeah, that's yeah. loads.
0: Even Natalia mentioned it uh, during uh, her interview, the role that the volunteers play in the, during the Olympics. So Kilia, you actually, you talked with a volunteer that was present during the Olympics?
2: I did indeed, yes. I spoke with Jean Carnet, who is a retired architect, so he was able to tell me a lot about the buildings and the facilities that they used, but also about his experiences there during that summer of 1992.
0: Great, let's have a listen.
5: A big majority of the Society of Barcelona, the citizens of Barcelona, decided that in this moment Barcelona could show to the world uh, how Barcelona is and how Barcelona is able to show the town to the to the world most of people uh, uh, worked enthusiastic in this organization <laughs> I I worked as a, how is the volunteers and
2: what did you do as a volunteer?
5: Uh, well, uh, pick up people to, into the airport to to uh, go to the hotel and and also I remember uh, participate in the Olympics as a, a spectator. I went to the, the ceremony of the beginning of the uh, I was there in the in the, in the stadium. I, I was very happy. This was a mark, you No, know? uh, the Olympics should be like this.
0: So thank you very much to Jaume for talking with us. After all this uh, research and hearing about the cute memories people have about the Olympics and obviously the architectural legacy of the Games in, in the city, I have to admit, that the idea of witnessing an Olympic Games in Catalonia today sounds very attractive. But at the same time, I understand the concern of locals, uh, gentrification and environmental process that come along with hosting Olympic Games. And that left me wondering, would it be possible to organize such games now? What do you guys think?
2: I think we've got a perfect example already in the news that we've had in the past couple of weeks, the past couple of months this idea that Catalonia may have been bidding for the 2030 Winter Olympic Games, it's completely lacking in political consensus Um, I mean the current administration really went for it this year, really tried to get things uh, get a bid together but in the end they needed to have an agreement with the neighbouring region of Aragon as well as the Spanish government, the Spanish Olympic committee as well so it's very different from the 1992 Olympics well when all
1: institutions uh, came together uh, during the bit led by Mayor Pascual Maragall uh, but also supported by all institutions that Killian mentioned before and and during the event itself so there was some harmony uh, between institutions that now it's impossible to see uh, by by any means
0: if you would like to know more about the bid and the 23rd Winter Olympics Games, uh, back in February, these guys actually produced an episode about the dispute and whether hosting the Winter Games or not in Catalonia. It's really good, and you should totally check that out. Time now for our Catalan phrase. What is it this week, guys?
1: Uh, that
0: sounds like full of speed on a boat
1: <laughs> correct yeah that's what it is that's what it is uh, so this all goes perfect this project goes fine and it all it all goes uh, in full swing you know this is when i've, I've produced this uh, sentence you know this phrase i popa you know this podcast goes bentam popa
0: that's all we have time for today Thanks again to everyone that is put with us. Thanks to you for tuning in. Don't forget to follow us on social media and wherever you get your podcasts. We are back again next Saturday with another episode of Feeling the Sink. Until then, from me, Alejandra Angulo, and all of us here at Catalan News. Bye for now. Adeu.